Friends, we are in Acts chapter 23. This is a wild story. You'll remember that Paul has traveled back to Jerusalem. He's been arrested. He was put on trial before uh, the Jerusalem court, and now he is in the barracks of the Romans. So we're in Acts chapter 23, and I just want to read one verse from last week and then come into our passage. So I'm going to start in verse 11. Hear God's word. The following night, the Lord stood by Paul and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. When it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, We have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now therefore, you along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you as though you were going to determine his case more exactly, and we are ready to kill him before he comes near. Now the son of Paul's sisters heard of their ambush, so he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Paul called one of the centurions and said to him, take this man to the tribune for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the tribune and said, Paul the prisoner called me and asked me to bring this young man to you as he has something to say to you. The tribune took him by the hand and going aside asked him privately, what is it that you have to tell me? And he said, the Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire somewhat more closely about him, but do not be persuaded by them for more than 40 of their men are lying in ambush for him who have bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready waiting for your consent. So the tribune dismissed the young man charging him, tell no one that you have informed me of these things. And he called two of the centurions and said, get ready 200 soldiers with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night. Also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix, the governor. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, each of us in our own way is wondering, thinking, longing to know what it means to have the presence of Jesus in our lives, what he is capable of, and if he is for us. So I pray this morning, even in this passage that seems so distant from us, you would speak to us, you would reveal yourself to us, you would show us your presence in our circumstances. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I was opening up this passage, a friend reminded me of something we like to say to each other in the middle of disappointment. When we're hoping for something and we fail at something, we're disappointed with something, somebody will inevitably say to us, when one door closes, another door opens. Don't you hate when your mom says that to you? Or when anybody says that to you, it's like, it's kind of defeating, even if it's true, but I'm going to start saying it now. When you guys fail your midterms, I'll say, hey, one door closed, but another door opens. They're hiring at 7-Eleven, you know, there are more doors out there. But actually, I think Maria Von Trapp in The Sound of Music had the better sense of it when she said, when the Lord closes a door, he opens up a window, It's different, and it looks different, but that's his means that he's going to provide, and that really sums up Acts chapter 23. 
because Jesus tells Paul to take courage. The very next morning, it feels like the door slams shut on his safety and he is going to die at the hands of these plotters. And then a window flies open and Paul jumps out. That's the story of Acts 23. It's a fun story because it doesn't happen to me and it has a happy ending. But I think even as we read this wild plot, we're going to see some deep truths about Jesus that apply to us today. So I wanna share with us just two of these truths that I see in this passage that point our minds and our hearts to the person of Jesus and what he is capable of. And the first truth is this, Jesus doesn't make guesses. Jesus doesn't make guesses. He plans out Paul's deliverance. Now notice the movement from verse 11 to verse 12. Verse 11, the Lord stood by Paul and said, take courage. This is a beautiful moment for Paul to be encouraged by Jesus. But then the very next verse, verse 12, when it was day, the Jews made plots and bound themselves by an oath, neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. And there were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. I mean, talk about a spiritual high followed by a spiritual low. And isn't that how it so often comes to us? No sooner as a believer do I find myself in a season of peace or encouragement or nearness to Christ and I'm following him and I'm happy about my relationship with him than immediately in the very next verse of my life, circumstances or tragedy or a relationship or a sin breaks me down from that part and knocks me right off my feet. No sooner does Jesus appear to Paul and say everything's gonna be okay, in verse 12 it looks like everything's not gonna be okay. These men are so bent on this that they've made a vow, we're going to kill Paul and we will not eat until we do, which is really a death sentence either way. Because if they don't kill him, they're not going to eat and they're going to die of starvation according to their vow. But if they do attack him and try to ambush him while he's being guarded by Roman soldiers, that's a death sentence as well. So these men are committed to giving their lives to this sole task out of the hatred for Paul and the message that he preaches. So Paul seems as good as dead here. You've got a plan, you've got plotters, they've conspired with the highest authorities in Jerusalem working together. It feels like a done deal. But then out of nowhere, of all people, at all times, and in all places, the person who learns about this plot and uncovers it is Paul's nephew. Isn't that crazy? I didn't even know Paul had a sister. We don't hear anything about Paul's family life, but somehow he has a sister and somehow the sister's son is doing what Paul probably did when he was a young man, come to Jerusalem to study uh, Judaism there. And so he's there and he happens to be at the right place and the right time. And here's this entire plot. And when you read this in the story, you recognize this literary move that is happening that we see in other places in literature. So some of y'all are literary buffs, some of you are humanities majors, and you know this stuff, but those in the literary know will tell you that when there's a uh, convenient plot resolution, 
that that is referred to in Latin as deus ex machina or machina, depending on how you speak Latin in the home. But that phrase is translated a god from the machine. So if you were watching a Greek play and the characters got themselves in a mess and they couldn't get out of it, then one of the ways to resolve that was to bring a Greek god out of nowhere. You hadn't been introduced to him and he drops down into the play and he's able to solve everything. Well, we kind of use that phrase today in the negative when you're watching a movie or a show or reading a novel and it seems like the author got his characters into a fix and then he ran out of ideas for how they can get themselves out of the fix and so he just drops in something from somewhere else and it changes the entire plot. So think Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, right? Where he's in the chamber and the basilisk serpent is about to kill him And what should appear but a phoenix out of nowhere, we hardly know about this thing. It heals Potter, it gives him a hat with a sword in it, and all of a sudden, he's very conveniently able to kill the snake and make it out of there. It's crazy. Now, I hadn't actually read the book, but I read that on Wikipedia, so (laughs) if I have some of the details wrong, you can email Brittany and tell her what you think about that. But when you think about plot resolution, I mean, Potter gets a phoenix and Paul gets a nephew, a solution drops out of the sky to solve the situation. And what seemed like certain death turns in the nick of time very conveniently to resolve the entire plot. Before we get worked up over literature, I wanna pose a question to us about how this all happens which the answer to this question is going to have a lot of import for how we think about Jesus and how we think about ourselves and how we think about the world around us. Because you'll remember back in verse 11 that Jesus told Paul, take courage, I'm with you, you're in Jerusalem, but I am going to bring you to Rome. And so my question is, when Jesus appeared to Paul and said this, Was he guessing that Paul would make it to Rome if everything worked out according to his hope? Or was he telling Paul that he would most assuredly make it to Rome because all things were in his hands? You see the importance of that question? Was Jesus guessing Or was Jesus telling the way you answer that has enormous implications for how you think about Jesus and how you think about the world around us? If we had time, I'd actually like to divide the room between the guessing and the telling. So we'd get the guessing folks on one side. Jesus is making an educated guess about Rome and we take the telling and promising and put them on the other side and you say Jesus is telling and assuring that this will happen and then I'd like to address each party and I would turn to the guessing side of the room, those who say that Jesus is just making an educated hopeful guess that y'all have a little Jesus. He's a little tiny Jesus. You mean to tell me that Jesus, after attending the creation of the cosmos, John chapter one, after he sustains 
everything that is seen and unseen, Colossians chapter 1, after he organized his appearance at the fullness of time, Galatians chapter 4, after he defeated the great enemies of sin and death, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, after he ascended to the right hand of the Father and, quote, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, Ephesians chapter 1, you're telling me that that's same Jesus that has been described to you is now wringing his hands in the dimension of heaven, hoping and guessing and wishing that his man Paul would make it to Rome? You're telling me that your Jesus is so small, he can't guarantee Paul's safe passage from Jerusalem to Rome? FedEx can make that guarantee, and your Jesus cannot make that guarantee? I'm sorry but I can't go with you on that. I can't follow that kind of Jesus. I'm not sure if he doesn't hold these things and these scenes in his hands that he's actually worth gathering together around on Sunday and singing to and giving our lives to if all he can give back is a guess as to what will happen to our eternal souls. That's a small Jesus. But then I would turn to the telling side of the room. And I hope by that time, everybody on the guessing side has kind of filtered over to the right side of the room. And I would say to you and to me, hallelujah. We serve a Jesus who doesn't guess outcomes, but he lays them out scene by scene by scene in his marvelous providence. It's a small thing for Jesus to give Paul a sister and for Paul's sister son to be in Rome studying and for Paul's nephew to make it to the room where the the ambush is being talked about and discover it and uncover it and reveal it and save Paul. That's a very small thing if you're talking about the Jesus who holds and sustains everything in this world seen and unseen. Sometimes he shows up and empowers the characters in the scene, us, and he gives us strength and abilities to resolve the plot just like you would find in a good novel. Or sometimes he does what he does in this passage where he drops a solution out of heaven and it plays out like good Greek theater. But however God chooses to do it, Ephesians 1.11 says that God works all things according to the counsel of his will. Everything. Everything that happens is in that will. And I tell you, church, Jesus wasn't guessing here. He was promising because God's providence works on promises and not guesses. Amen? God's providence works on promises and not hopes, and not dreams, and not well-wishing, and oh, if it might have happened this way. No, it works on the bedrock of promises. When everything felt as good as lost, when it looked like we could count Paul out as as good as dead because the the door had slammed shut, the Lord of hosts opens a window, and Paul jumps. All in God's providence. 
So truth number one, Jesus doesn't make guesses. He was the one that planned this entire scene. And truth number two, Jesus doesn't take chances. He doesn't make guesses. He doesn't take chances. Not only does he plan Paul's deliverance, he provides for Paul's deliverance. Now, I know when we're in hardship and after we've said that trite thing to each other, when a door closes, another door opens, we also quote for each other that beautiful verse in 1 John 4, 4. And it's an encouraging verse. It's a wartime verse. It's one we should all know. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You know that verse, memorize that verse, share that verse with each other. And we believe that theologically. We know that to be true. Of course, God is bigger than any circumstance that we face. But if we're honest with each other, when this is all happening in the spiritual realm, I know it with my mind, but it's hard to get my hands on it. Like, I know God is bigger than these circumstances, but I can see these circumstances. I can't see God, and it sure feels like this is hard to get a handle on. And that's why passages like Acts 23 were written to give us a practical, numerical sense of how God handles his business. Before you quote 1 John 4, 4 to another person, Reread Acts 23 and watch God at work. You've got 40 untrained, poorly armed men who have made a plot to take down Paul and left to themselves, that would have worked. They probably could have killed Paul. But do you see how God responds? Verse 23, by providing 200 highly trained, armed to the teeth, battle-ready Roman soldiers to defend him, and all of a sudden the odds have swung in Paul's favor, and now we're talking five to one, soldiers to plotters, but God's not done. He throws in 70 cavalry, so we have some heavy cavalry with us with horsemen, and then he adds another 200 spearmen, so now it's 12 to one, and any one soldier here has more training and fighting experience than all 40 of the plotters put together. But for good measure, God provides almost 500 soldiers to defend Paul. You see where we're getting our points in the text when we say that Jesus doesn't make guesses, he plans this in advance, and now we're saying Jesus doesn't take chances, he provides over and above for deliverance. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. The 40 ragtag plotters, that's the he who is in the world. And 470 highly trained soldiers, that's a pinprick of the resources of the Lord of hosts, he who is in you. If you've got a 40-man problem, God has a 500-soldier solution. If you're facing a circumstance, if you're facing an addiction, if you're facing an illness, if you're facing a relationship, if you're facing something is broken that is not clear how it's going to become unbroken, you are facing a 40-man problem. And I tell you today, greater is he. He will bring a 500-soldier solution to bear on that because we worship a Jesus who his word is his bonds 
He will do what he says he's going to do. He doesn't make guesses. He doesn't wish something will happen. If he begins a good work, he will bring it to completion because he is the Lord of hosts with all resources at his disposal. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may we rest in sovereign hands. May we rejoice May we enjoy, may we revel in the fact that you are with us. You say you set a table for us in the presence of our enemies. And if we have enemies this morning from without or within, we are gonna come and eat at your table, this table spread in the presence of enemies. We're gonna sit and eat as you go to work and bring your power to bear. Thanks be to God, you are our Savior and our Deliverer, and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.